welcome to the Church in the Peak podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit churchinthepeak.org. So this morning there's been some, some highs and some really difficult things, haven't there? And um, so follow on from that. Um, I'm going to start with a quote that, that comes at the end of what I want to say, but I just want to start here. Um, this is from Pete Gregg in, in his book, God on Mute. He says, as we pay the price of obedience, we can be sure that every short-term loss plays its part in the long-term certainty of victory in Christ. It's just that we never realized that winning could sometimes hurt like hell. And we struggle and we hurt sometimes. But it's all part of God's plan for victory. And I want to say that right at the beginning. Because it's important that we, we focus on the fact that God is victorious. That he's saved us. And that we are part of his family. That we have a place in heaven. And we need to remember that. And I start there because um, what I want to talk about this morning is actually really difficult. And uh, we need to have a sense of perspective in that. So I'm just going to ask you, um, who got my message about reading Deuteronomy 2 and 3 this week? Hands up. Who actually read it? Oh, most of you. Most of you. That's fantastic. So um, if you've read Deuteronomy 2 and 3, then, then you'll kind of realize that um, there's a, it, it's a tough passage. Um, it's a passage about battle and war. And uh, I want to speak into that this morning. You have to remember that this is the story that Moses is telling. So he's... They're on, on the breach of going into the promised land. And Deuteronomy is him telling the people of Israel, this is where you've been. These are the things that have happened to you. This is your history. And you need to remember this as we go forward. And so this story in chapters 2 and 3 is a story about them moving up this map. So if you have a look at this map, you, you can see down at the bottom... Is the, uh, is the desert. This is where they were. They were in the desert. And God tells them to go on this journey and start to make a move. He says in verse 2 of chapter 2, enough, enough of traveling around the desert. I'm taking you closer. And he takes them up. On this map, you see the Moabites, it says, and the Ammonites, and then at the top, Bashan. And this story over this couple of chapters is that they move up the east side of the River Jordan. They go the other side of the Dead Sea and up towards the Sea of Galilee and a bit beyond. And they move up there and they take land. Because God says, I'm getting you ready to go into the promised land, which is where I want you to end up. So I'm just going to kind of run through those two chapters really quickly. And uh, just so that um, you can get that feel of the story. In uh, verses 3 to 7, he says, Pass through Seir, but be in peace. Go in peace. Go through their land. 
in uh, verse 18 and, and a bit after, he says about the people of Moab and the people of Ammon. And God says, you know, I've got a plan for each of these people groups. Go and be in harmony with them, live in harmony, trade with them, engage with them. But don't fight with them. Just be with them and pass through their land. And you get to chapter, uh, verse 28 of chapter 2, and God says, pass through this area. Now, I don't know how you kind of get a sense of that. We're talking a million people. So there's a million people passing through this land. I, I don't know how they thought they were going to kind of pass through. Uh, nothing to see here, you know, you can't see us. We, we, we're just passing through, just ignore us. I don't think that would have happened. And uh, the people, they had this choice to kind of ignore them. They, they had a choice to profit from them because God had said, you know, go, go buy the stuff you need for your journey. And so they had this chance to profit from the people of Israel. They had gold and silver. And God said, go and buy the stuff that you've not been eating in the desert. Go and, go and get some really good stuff that you've not experienced for a while. Spend some of your wealth doing that. I've given you this wealth Go and spend it. And so they had this choice to profit from it. They also had a choice to attack the people of God. And the people of Israel, they had a choice as they passed through this land. They, they had a choice to do what God said and go in peace and pass through. But they also had a choice to kind of be jealous. There they'd been in the desert for 40 years eating manna and quail. And they had a choice to actually be completely jealous of these people who were living in fertile land where they could grow what they wanted and they could eat. They could have fine meats and fine foods. And they could be jealous and they, or they could decide to settle there and not go where God was telling them to go. Because actually, this is really nice. We've had 40 years of desert. Actually, I'm just going to stop here. Thank you very much. Who cares about the promised land? This is great. So they go into this area, and the people attack Israel. And uh, we get to verse 34. And this wasn't God's plan. God said, you know, go at peace, pass through this land. But these people didn't have peace. They didn't go with God's plan for peace, and they attacked Israel. And it says in verse 34, they destroyed everything. There was no survivors. They plundered the land. Some of the people settled in it. Chapter 3 says, actually, they did settle some people there. And there was no one left. Not one living being. Israel destroyed them. That whole people group wiped out. No more. I don't know how you feel about that. We go into chapter 3 and they've, they've, they've moved up and they get to the top of this where it says Bashan. And uh, when they get there, they encounter King Og. Now, it tells us in verse 11 of chapter 3 that Og was huge. If anything to go by, we're talking Goliath size, like a 10-foot man. And uh, his bed was 6 foot wide. It was 14 foot long. We're talking mega bed. And God says to them in verse 2, don't fear. 
So they're going into this land with this renowned local king who's whop-off tall with this huge, tall race. And God says, don't fear, I am with you. My hand will protect you. Now, Og wasn't a great king. He didn't follow God. And at the start of chapter 3, they went into Bashan and they killed everyone. They ransacked their houses. They plundered their wealth, their livestock. Now, Bashan is the fertile plains. It's got Mount Hermon at the north. There were 60 cities Not cities like we think of today. We're not thinking 60 populations like London, but 60 towns. They called them cities. And there's these 60 cities. They fell as the people of Israel attacked. And no one survived apart from Og. They took everything. But the people of Bashan, they'd been rebelling against God. And God said, this is not my plan for you. Now, this this bit of land, this is the Golan Heights. That's what it's called today. The Golan Heights is is that fertile bit in Israel where they grow many of the crops, where they have their pretty cottages. And still, Syria says, this is our land. The Syrian people say, this is rightfully ours. It was taken by you wrongfully. And they're referring back to this. And so there's this argument over this area. Just last Sunday, just at the top of that area, just into Syria, we were bombing because of what Syria is doing. This is a really, really difficult place. And it still is very difficult. But they traveled up this western side, uh, this eastern side, and they, they took all the land that God gave them. But they didn't take what he hadn't given them. And sometimes, at the end of the story, we find out about Moses. He says, I'm not going into the promised land. God has told me I'm not going in. And sometimes we can work hard, but we don't see the promise. But Joshua was going to see the promise. God said, Joshua's going in. He's going to see the promised land. And sometimes we don't. But it doesn't mean that we're not a really important part of the story. Without Moses, the people of God would have never left Egypt. They'd have been lost in the desert for a long time. He kept trying to focus them back on God. And they'd have wandered away. Maybe they'd have all died in the desert. I don't know. But Moses kept them right. But God said, for you, you're not going into the promised land. And that must have been really tough. I um, I have I have some friends, um, and um, God spoke to him, and I can't tell you his name, but he was going to an area called Nuristan, which is um, kind of northern part of Afghanistan, a mountainous area. Can only get there six months of the year on foot or by helicopter. It's the only two ways in. And the people of Nuristan, they'd asked for a missionary. A hundred years ago, they said, send us a missionary, because somebody had gone and they'd had a Bible, and they said, we want to hear more about this Jesus guy. And um, no one went. 
and uh, the area was taken over by the Soviets and, and it was decimated. And uh, my friend, he, um, he felt God say, I want you to go to Nuristan. I want you to take the word. This is, this is what I've, you know, I want for these people. And um, in this process, he went to Bible college. Then he went to learn Farsi. Um, he learned how to interpret um, Farsi and then how to, to write in the local dialect. He went in, he found out what the local dialect was, recorded lots of their speech, came back, went to Wycliffe Bible Translators, helped translate the Bible into their language, and uh, gathered a team to go back in. And there they were in Afghanistan. They were about to go, and one of his children became sick. And he'd got married to somebody else who God had said, I want you to go to Nuristan. And they'd got married, and they were there, and they had their child, and God said... You're not going in. And they, the team went in. They've done amazing stuff. But actually, he was told, you're never going in. So after 10 years of all this work, God said, you've done your job. And this is what I wanted for you. And sometimes the battles are really hard. And we don't necessarily get to the promised land. You know, I said we, you know, we've... We, We've just been in about chemical weapons in this area. And I, I just had a look back into history. And did we ever use chemical weapons? Oh, yeah, we did. World War I, we used them loads. And we haven't done since the Geneva Convention, 1930. And that's great that we don't. But not everybody's signed up to that, are they? And we live in a world where we've got different people who have got different priorities, doing things that are really evil. And I wonder, how do, we, how do we respond to all of that? How do we respond to a passage like this? We, we have a God of love who said, do not murder. And yet his people go and they decimate people groups so there's no one left alive. And they plunder and they pillage. How, how does that work? I can't get my head around that. I'm a pacifist. And I just can't get my head around it. But I know that God said... This is my plan for you as the people of Israel, that you're going to go and you're going to be here. His plan wasn't that the first people group would have any problems. He said, trade with them, love them, pass through their land. But they didn't obey God. So I wonder what we should do about it. Should we celebrate it? Should we emulate it? When we look at the Hutus and the Tutsis in Rwanda... You know, many of them said, this is because actually we believe in God. That this is why we're doing what we're doing. And I don't fully get that. So I wonder, how do we respond? So I just want to talk about some different ways that we can respond. Um, and uh, I want to respond about the, the story of war. And uh, I want to read you a bit from Romans, Romans 13. I've struggled with this over the last couple of weeks as I've been reading, reading this and working this through. And I think there's some helpful insights from the New Testament about how do we, as the people of God, respond to all this historical stuff that we read in the Old Testament. And how do we act today? It says in Romans 13, Everyone must submit to the governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority 
is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Well, do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course, you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes too, for these same reasons. For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and your government fees to those who collect them. And give respect and honour those who are in authority. Paul was quite clear. They lived in a very difficult time. And this region that we see here was a very troubled place in Paul's time. In Jesus' time. The Romans had come in. And they just killed so many people. And Paul says, do what is right. Bow down under the authorities. If God doesn't want them there, he will remove them. And he will do what is right. He says, do good so that you're not judged. You know, if, if no one did any evil, then, then there'd be no need for judgment. And that's true on the earth today. If actually we all lived in peace and respected one another and loved one another, we wouldn't need police force. We wouldn't need armies. But we don't because we're selfish. And the authorities are there to rule and to judge. And you know, they can bear the sword. They can do the difficult things that I couldn't personally do. And some of you could do that, and some of you can't. But God says, obey the authorities and let them judge accordingly and keep the peace. Now, the laws need to be godly. And around the world, we see so much strife, don't we? And we see governments doing things that we think are really difficult. But actually, we have to trust that actually God has put these authorities in place. It says in 1 Peter 2, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. We've got clear guidance as to how we should respond. And actually, we should be subject to the authorities. But then there's personal response to all of this as well. That's our kind of corporate response. I read this this week. Whenever you are attacked, whether on the national or a personal level, 
there is a tendency to assume that you are totally righteous and that the aggressor is totally evil. But this is never the case. The Bible plainly indicts us all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, not even one. We may be right on a particular issue or an occasion, but we need to check ourselves from the thought that easily comes when we're attacked. I am without fault. That thought leads us to pride, but the Bible enjoins us to humility by first taking the log out of our own eye in any conflict. And um, as we experience conflict, whether it's in our life or with the authorities or with our bosses, uh, with our friends or our families, we're encouraged. Have humility. Take the log out of your own eye. Think about what is right and what does God say. I was listening to Radio 4 this week and James Jones, I think is the Bishop of Liverpool, he said, uh, arrogance is the true enemy of peace. And actually, that's true on our personal level as well as as a nation. And we need to have humility. Now, as I think about the kind of the map and God saying, go there, do do this, go this place, don't take the land yet, but just go and get yourself ready, be in the right place. It makes me think about our story as a church. We've taken land around the Peak District, but we haven't necessarily taken the Peak District. Despite our name, Church in the Peak, we're not necessarily really very much in the Peak District. We're kind of surrounding it right now. And we've fought at times and, and we've lost a couple of years ago, we decided we're going to do an alpha in Bakewell. Um, this would seem like a good thing. It will help us take ground. And actually, we can, we can see God, you know, establish church. And we partnered with the other churches. We put out a couple of thousand leaflets. Yes, God's going to do a great thing. And one person turns up. And it turns out they're already a churchgoer. And we didn't do the alpha course. And... We kind of came away a bit kind of bloody-nosed from that. And it just makes me think, well, maybe I wasn't hearing God when I said, let's go do this thing. And actually, we need to wait until he says, it's time to go and it's time to take the land. And he'll make it very clear. And when he says, it's time to take the land, we'll be able to take the land, no matter who stands against us. Because God will win the battles that he sets out for us. And sometimes there won't even be a battle. We will just take the land. But what about personally? I want to ask you this morning, what war are you fighting right now? What battles are you involved with? And I want to ask you the simple question, should you, be in this battle? Should you? Is this the battle that God's got for you? Or are you going your own way? Is this God's plan for you right now? But equally, are there other wars you should be fighting? Other ways that you should be battling? And I'm talking about your personal battle. I'm talking about in our church life together. 
If you go into war, you don't go into war in trainers and t-shirt and shorts like it's going to go be like a picnic. It's not how it is. You have to train. You have to take the right equipment with you. Ephesians 6 says, put on the full armor of God. We're not talking about actually, oh, I've, I've got a little bit of an elbow pad in this jumper. We're talking full armor. And God says, put on your full armor. And that's because actually there is battle in this Christian life. There are things that are really difficult where we have to battle to see what God's going to do. And it's tough. And he says, put on your full armor. He tells us, train your body like an athlete. Let go of everything that hinders. Everything. You know, you don't wear a woolly hat to do a marathon. You put on your skimpy shorts and your little singlet. All those people in London today in the, in the heat, you know, trying to keep cool and running their race. They've chucked off every extra. I'm not going to take anything that's going to be an extra ounce because that's not the way you run a race that is a long race. And God says, get rid of everything that's hindering you. Get rid of it. In the 1968 Olympics, there was a guy called John Aquari. He was representing Tanzania in the marathon. And he was injured during the race, and they had to kind of bandage him up. Um, But he kept on running. And he entered the stadium, and everyone had gone home. There was no one left. And he'd run, and he gets into the stadium, and there's nobody there to cheer him. And he was asked afterwards, why did you do that? And he said, my country didn't send me 7,000 miles to start a race. They sent me here to finish the race. And God hasn't set us up to not finish our races. He hasn't set us up to fail. He's sending us because he knows where there is victory. And we have to persevere. It's flipping hard to persevere sometimes, isn't it? We hear these stories this morning, and this is, you know, um, where it brings me to what I read at the beginning. When it feels like God's keeping us from the promised land, when we feel like we're on the edge, and we're coming up against people who are 10 foot tall, God says, don't. I've taken the land for you. You go with me, we'll win this battle together. And I believe as a church, we're going to take land because he's promised us. And I can't tell you the day or the time that he's going to say, go and take that land. But he will because he has promised us. And for us personally, as we struggle with with our lives as we go forwards, Our challenge is, does this drive us into God? Does it drive us away from God? Does the disappointment that we haven't seen land taken push you away? Does it say, you know, I'm going to go the other way, God? Am I just going to settle here in an enemy's land? Actually, because it seems like it's really fertile. 
it seems like I can get a load of food and I can be comfortable. God says, this is where I want to send you. And I'm going to make you victorious. So there's this bit from Pete Gregg, as I read earlier. As we pay the price of obedience, we can be sure that every short-term loss plays its part in the long-term certainty of victory in Christ. Now, when we suffer those losses, when we suffer the pain, it doesn't feel victorious. It goes on, it's just that we have never realized that winning could sometimes hurt like hell. Some of you are hurting that much. You're struggling for one reason or another, whether it's injury, whether it's the battle scars of Christian life, whether it's the losses that that there's been along the way, whether it's disease that battles you down, whether it's the malnutrition of living in the desert or manor. You're struggling and it's hurting. God sees you're hurting and he's with you. He says, I want to carry you in this. As you battle, I'm winning the ground. And you may not see that this looks like victory right now. But trust me, I have victory for you. He says, I am with you. Fight my battles and you will win. Don't fight where I'm not leading you. For there lies misery. You know, the battle for your soul is won. It's won, it's finished, it's over with what Christ did on the cross. The ultimate victory has already been won. And yes, there's battles for us still to have. And and God says, get ready for the battle. Train yourself for the battle. Because I am going to take you to places where it might sometimes be difficult. But be strong and put on your armor. You know, this morning we've heard stories of of, of healing, haven't we? We've heard stories of changed hearts. We've heard stories of people being healed from disease. And it's great. It builds our faith. Because we see that God is winning the battle. So I ask you, what war are you fighting? What war are you fighting? Is this a battle you should be in? If not, flee it. If this is a battle that God wants you in, we need to stand with you. And we need to fight with you as the people of God. And are there wars that you should be fighting? That actually we're shying away from? Because it's kind of tricky right now. And we're battle-worn and we, we just think, I can't do another one can't do this anymore if you're in that place we want to stand with you and we want to pray with you we want to encourage you i'm not going to pretend that that suddenly makes everything easy and that the battle is a bed of roses because it's not but i know god's with us and that he's good and that he's with us and he's still good and he'll remain good. Let's um, 
let's finish there. And um, if the worship bank could come up, sorry, I've set you a hard task. But um, I think it's always good to focus back in on God, isn't it? And um, that's where what we need to do is, is focus back in onto God. Um, but then actually, I know... For some of you, that's really hard, whether it's about the war's stuff that we come across and your battle with working that out, but probably for more of you about the battles that you're on that you, you just can't see an end to, where you feel like you're being decimated. And actually, being in the place where we focus on God is the right place where we can start to see God take victory in our battles. So after we worship, I want to kind of draw us back in and let's pray. Let's pray for each other. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'll lead us in that in a moment.